0: Amen. Don't you want to say thank you to them for their work? Yeah. I just so appreciate our worship arts group. I so appreciate the teams that put in the time to get ready for these chapels and all the other things that you do. I'm grateful for all of you. I am very sorry that I missed last week with KC. Did you like him? One of you, yeah, one of our alumni who's gone on to do amazing things, and it was good to have him here. I have listened to the message, and uh, his point about perseverance is something we all need to remember. We all need to be steady on, looking through, finishing the task that God has put before us and before Nehemiah, of course, was the rebuilding of the wall. Uh, I thought it was interesting that I I think he said he had been in two churches in 25 years. This is perseverance. Uh, The idea that you go to a church and stay there for a few years and then switch around and switch around, switch around. That's okay if that's the healthy thing to do. I wouldn't say it's necessarily a healthy pattern. If you can find a place to be in and be there a long time, take Al Mertes as an example and be there for 22 years, this is a good thing. I could use other examples. I could even use our speaker this morning, who's been in ministry for 28 years, Dr. Rich Cow got his doctoral degree in leadership from Regent University in Virginia Beach. Born in the U.S., he is Asian. I think this is the Asian section of our batting order, right? We've had Joseph DeSouza and Casey Wong and now Rich Cao. But uh, Rich is uh, is kind of as, as American as any of us, born in the U.S. of A., has an amazing vision for the world. He looks after Five Stones Church, has been there for 15 years in Vancouver. Interesting church. If you're in Vancouver looking for a place to stop by, um, do do, stop in and and visit them. Rich will be hanging around for um, an hour before uh, I think James Fraser's taking him for lunch. Um, And then at 1.30, Kelly's planning to host a little bit of a get-together for any who are interested, especially Pastoral Studies Youth Ministry, Students, uh, I think you might have already sent the email, but maybe not, Kelly. But in any case, this is your invitation to hook up with Kelly, something like 1.30, Kelly? Yeah. And, and have a chance to visit with Rich, and then I'm taking him back to the airport at 3.30, and I look forward to that. But I'm so excited that Rich is here. He and their people at Five Stones have a vision for planting churches in other great cities around the world, like Copenhagen. I think the, someone in this room, Emma Corinne, might say that Copenhagen, and have that as a foot, uh, a footprint into the Scandinavian countries, and then they want to set up another church that would be similar to their Five Stones Church, but in Dubai, and another one in Tokyo, and another one in Shanghai. Interesting vision. But when I met Rich, uh, probably it might be two years ago by now, I felt this. Solid connection to a guy who I think walks with God, has an understanding of how God's spirit works, has shown exceptional leadership in the downtown Vancouver area, and I thought, wow, it'd be great to have him on campus as one of our guest speakers. And then we did a series on the Holy Spirit, and these guys know a lot about walking in the Holy Spirit, so I am so excited to have rich here and I'm excited when we're saying I'm excited about the baptismal service later this week won't that be good don't miss Thursday, I'm looking forward to being there as well, and then i I'm so excited about these two candidates who are sort of duking it out to be our I, I think we're in good hands with Peter or Ian, so uh, thank you all for your work on student union and, and I think we're in good hands for next year as well, and I look forward to hearing who comes out of that the, sort of carrying the flag for us. So we're going to have a good day on Friday as well. Let me pray for you, Rich, as you come on up, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the blessing that you have been to us this year. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is coming alive among us in our hearts. We pray now that you would especially bless Rich with your Holy Spirit. Fill him so that we can hear from you. We pray that we would release every stronghold in our lives that you would have full and free control in our lives. So give us, we pray, that greatest gift of all, your very Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: I turned on here. Get the mic going. Thank you, Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here at at Prairie College. I agree with Mark, when we met, um, there was a a real sense of connection and the leadership and the team here, just their dedication to God really just warmed my heart and and really excited me. So when Mark asked me to share here, of course I was um, very, very keen to do that and hopefully um, the Lord will give you something that will be edifying and build you up. I just wanna say a couple things at the outset before I get into my talk this morning, there's a resident presence in, on this meeting. And I know that you as students, you come here week by week, and it maybe becomes a little bit routine. I have three kids that went to Christian colleges in the United States. And you, know, you go through the, all the, the things that are required of you, and you can get a little bit tired, you can get a little bit maybe fatigued, but there's a resident presence here. So when you come here, you know, there's a, a bathing that God wants to put on you, and there's a refreshing that God wants to put on you, and just to know that you are blessed, and maybe that you've already have that understanding. But I want to encourage you: there is just a wonderful thing that God is is doing in your midst, whether you sense it or not. You know, He is He is really here. And when I was talking with uh, Mark at his uh, in his office this morning, <clears throat> we were talking about your global celebration from last week, I guess it was, and Mark was talking about just just the the plethora of things that God does in the earth and how we can't put God in a box. I wasn't planning to share this aspect, but I thought, you know, I'm going to do it right now. Last night I had a dream in which it was a very unique dream in which I had all these Tupperware boxes in front of me. And all these Tupperware boxes were just sort of collected there and then the lids would go on and snap and then put another Tupperware box and then snap. And I thought, you know, Sometimes we like to put God in a Tupperware box. We like Him to be really tidy, really to be clean. We put Him in a box. And as I was looking at this, you know, we sort of like have a Friday persona. Okay, I'm going to really party tonight. Or we have, you don't do that here at Prairie, but you know what I'm saying in the culture. Uh, We have a Sunday persona. We have a weekday persona. And there's not a sense of being integrated together. And in the dream that I had last night, it cut away to a scene where Jesus is at the cross and they're casting lots for His garments. And they don't want to tear his garment. And so as I was sort of in my dream and and waking up, I realized the Lord was saying that we need to live a holistic life. We can't put God into our little Tupperware boxes. That that garment represents the holistic, seamless way in which God wants us to relate to him, whether we're in chapel, whether we're outside of chapel, whether and I think he was alluded to by the worship leader, there is a seamlessness to the whole experience that we have in the Lord and the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Pardon me for my cough. I think I picked it up on the airplane on the way here. But I'm going to share this morning from (coughs) Numbers chapter 11. That's going to be my starting point. Uh, Mark asked me to speak on listening to the Spirit, which I formally entitled Hearing from the Spirit. And in Numbers chapter 11, there's a really unique story that's going on here. Moses has been camped uh, at Sinai for a whole year. The Ten Commandments have been given. The pattern for the tabernacle has been given. And so now they're going to break camp, and they're going to make their way into the promised land. Well, unfortunately, the people are thinking about their Egyptian lifestyle, and all the great food that they used to have, they don't have it anymore, they're complaining about the manna, and so this group of people rise up and say, we don't like the lifestyle that we have. And so Moses goes before the Lord, and he says, the burden, the leadership burden that you've given me is too much. These people are ready to just complain and call me down. And so the Lord says to him, okay, The leadership mantle that's on you, I'm going to put it on 70 other men. Call for the elders, and I'm going to put your spirit and divide it to them. Number one, that speaks to the incredible mantle that Moses had. The fact that his portion was divided among 70 elders is amazing. It tells you the weight that was on Moses' shoulders. So they're going to have an ordination service. The 70 are going to come together. 68 of them make it to the meeting. Two of them are late. In fact, they don't actually make it to the meeting. So for those of you that are late to your classes, take cheer. There are two people, Eldad and Medad, that didn't make it to the meeting. But as the ordination service is going on, the spirit falls, and they begin prophesying. Now Joshua is Moses' attendant, and so when he hears that there are two that are prophesying outside the camp, he says to Moses in verse 28 and 29, Moses, restrain them, they're Prophesying, doing a holy thing outside of the camp. They're not doing it in the proper way. And Moses said to Joshua, verse 29 Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them? Now, did Moses actually make this statement? Was he just being humble, deferring servant? Or was he saying something profound? Well, it turns out it was the latter and the former. Because of his humility, he realized that he had a vaunted position in the Lord, that God had given him leadership over the nation as a spokesman, and in fact, what he was experiencing in the Spirit was a foretaste of something that everyone would experience. They could all be prophets, they could all hear from God. Inexplicably, even as Moses was establishing the old covenant, he was already prophesying about the new covenant. He was an Old Testament hero with a New Testament heart. You fast forward to Acts chapter 2, nearly 1500 years later, we find Moses' gracious words coming to pass. The Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost and is interpreted by Peter from Joel chapter 2. This was the moment in which the crossing over was happening. Hearing from God would not just be mediated by priests. Now everyone had access to the Holy Spirit. Indeed, this is what Jesus kept saying to the disciples in the three years prior to Pentecost. You will be my sheep, I will be your shepherd, and you will hear my voice. No longer do I call you slaves, but I call you friends. Friends talk to each other. They communicate. Jesus also gave us, the. not only did he give us the shepherd and sheep, picture, and this friendship metaphor, he also gave us the bride and bridegroom paradigm. The intimacy between a bride and a groom comes from conversation, little chit-chats, heart-to-heart talks. So it's not too much to say that hearing from God is the very basis of our relationship. There's no greater delight that God has than that he can communicate directly to us. Takes us back to the garden where the first couple heard God walking even in the cool of the day. It's a wonderful picture of fellowship. So as incredible, as sounding as Moses' words were, he was spot on. God's burden is that we would hear his voice and so become his prophetic company in the earth. Where do missionaries come from? Where do Elizabeth Elliotts and Don Richardson's and Ralph Winters come from? Of course they come from Prairie, right? (laughs) Did I get that right? Wanted to put that in there. But more fundamentally, they come from hearing from God. They hear God's call upon their lives. Then they embark on a mission that manifests God's direct will in their lives. It's prophetic. It's expounding God's kingdom in the earth in real time. Prophet means to speak for God. Prophetic, by derivation, means to message God's purposes. When you hear and obey God's voice to you, you are being prophetic. You're messaging God's decision to your life. You're literally speaking with your actions what God is saying. Go to the villages of Nepal. Go serve in the inner city of Vancouver. Go into the fashion world and be the best designer you can be. Go and farm the land so you can be part of the food chain for your country. Go and be an elementary teacher so you can provide Christ-centered education during a child's early years. Go and be a paramedic. Be a frontline rescuer so you can be the face of Jesus when people are facing trauma. That's prophetic. God is moving with His purposes in your life. This is how the Lord fulfills the Great Commission. It's all based on hearing from God. So how does God speak? (coughs) Through the Bible? Of course. Through circumstances? Yes. Through mentors? Yes. Through parents? Yes. Read Proverbs 1 and 2. Fount of wisdom flows through our parents, as much as we don't want to hear that. Does it flow through... (laughs) (laughs) financial provision, absolutely. God speaks through all these things, but they are merely tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit. If there is no anointing, no breath, no wind upon the word, upon the circumstance, upon the advice of a mentor, then the Holy Spirit is not speaking, and there is no quickening. There is no life to it. Let me give you an example. I went to one of the best liberal arts schools in America, Carlton College in Minnesota, perennially top 10-ranked small liberal arts school, <coughs> along the likes of Dartmouth, Swarthmore, Brown, a few other elite names. Many of my teachers came from Ivy League universities. I was exposed to some of the best minds in the country. Well, during my freshman year as part of my lib ed requirement, I took a religion class called the Gospels of Jesus, and I couldn't have been more excited I had just gotten saved a year earlier, and I was pumped to be able to study the Bible and get credit for it at a secular college. To boot, I was going to get a teacher that would teach me in-depthly about the Bible. To my dismay, it was an exercise in intellectualism and scholarship. There was no life in it. There was no spark or breath of God upon it. Zero. Here my professor was handling the Holy Writ, And there was no quickening of the Holy Spirit, even though we were studying the very inspired Word of God. I was stunned. That was my first experience in how necessary the Holy Spirit is. Without the Holy Spirit, even holy and religious things will be lifeless. We need the Holy Spirit. But then I found out many people were afraid of the Holy Spirit. They were afraid of Acts 2 and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were afraid of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. Oh, we would teach the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit, but not the baptism or the gifts because they had passed away. When the Bible was written, that activity of the Holy Spirit ceased. Formally speaking, this perspective became known as dispensationalism or cessationism. So I thought, well, why would people think this? Where in the Bible does it say that this would happen? Well, this is a debate that's raged for decades. There are scholars and institutions on both sides of the fence. But as you know, one of the key rules for biblical interpretation is sola scriptura, which states that the Bible interprets itself and that no part of scripture can be interpreted in such a way as to render it in conflict with what is taught elsewhere in scripture. So where does the Bible say about itself that when the canon came together, the gifts and the baptism, the prophetic activity of the Holy Spirit would cease? Jesus didn't say it. We can't find it in the Gospels. Did you know that Jesus didn't even tell us there would be a divinely compiled book called the New Testament? So the idea of the Holy Spirit's gifts passing upon completion of the canon was not even mentioned by the Lord. None of the original apostles said it, so where do we get it from? Theologian says it comes from Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. We're in the midst of teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He uses the phrase, when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Now, we don't have time, obviously, to discuss this theologically or to dissect this clause, when the perfect comes. But if you look at it from a wisdom perspective... There has to be an interior logic with scripture that matches. So, what if we were to repeat back to Paul our theology on dispensationalism? What if Paul were in the audience today and we were to interview him? He'd be surprised, number one, that his letters got turned into the New Testament. What an honor! He was just writing to shepherd the churches that he had planted. Really, Pastor Rich, that happened? Yeah, it happened. Your writing is now on par with the Torah and with the prophets. Incredible. And then we would add, and guess what? You know the gifts of the Holy Spirit you operated in? The gifts of healing and faith and miracles, prophecy, speaking in tongues, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, they don't exist anymore today. What? Yeah, because we took your letters, we compiled them into the New Testament. You said at that point the gifts would cease. I said that? Yeah, you said when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. So now that we have your letters as part of the canon, you can stop moving in the gifts. You don't have to teach about them anymore. You can stop, for, stop praying for people to be baptized in the power of the Spirit. You can stop healing. You can stop miracles, speaking in tongues, because your letters have been all assembled into this beautiful New Testament. Isn't that cool? And Paul would be is that what I meant? We nailed it, didn't we? So this becomes a bit of a head-scratcher when you think about it. So how do we explain cessationism to Paul, let alone Jesus, who is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit? By the way, the Holy Spirit is not just this amorphous sort of fog that moves around. He's a person, right? And the Bible says that Jesus is the one that pours out the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself is the one that is the giver of the Spirit to us. So where does this doctrine come from? Well, to be sure, (coughs) I believe that those who formulated dispensationalism had a right heart. They wanted to safeguard community life and not let wildfire break out. They don't want wildfire to break out. And that gets to the root of the matter. The root of it comes from fear. We want to control the flow of things. We want to put them in our little Tupperware boxes. Oh, no, snap, don't ever, lid, don't come out again. We we don't want it to jump out into different areas. The Holy Spirit is wind, is fire, is river. You can't control that. These are all pictures given to us in the Scriptures. But here's the question. Were the apostles afraid of the Holy Spirit? Was Jesus in fear of the Holy Spirit? Like sometimes we might feel. Well, the answer is no, and I'll tell you why. They were bathed and utterly immersed in the love of God. The apostles had no fear because they completely trusted Jesus. And Jesus had no fear to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, not an unholy spirit. He had no fear to be anointed by the Holy Spirit because he was completely immersed in the Father's love. Being wide open to the Holy Spirit is about love, feeling safe and secure that it's from God. That's why Jesus and the apostles received and embraced and flowed with the Holy Spirit without fear or hesitation. The Lord spoke to this fear in Luke chapter 11. Everyone who asks receives. (coughs) He who seeks finds, to him who knocks. Very famous passage, right? It will be open. No one Now suppose one of your U.S. fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Of course not. If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? God will not give us a snake for a fish or a scorpion for eggs. But here's the punchline. Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus was speaking specifically of the Holy Spirit when he was talking about asking, receiving, and giving. (coughs) Jesus wasn't afraid. And so if we ask for the Holy Spirit, we won't be sucker punched. It's not a possibility. Jesus is speaking to our fears because perfect love casts out all fear. And where does that safety come from to receive the Holy Spirit? And all that he does, the Father is safety. The Father is safety. This is why we say yes to the Holy Spirit in all his ways. Not because we're argued into it, or not because we're an adventurous type. Oh, it's cool, those charismatics, they do these kind of weird things. I want to try that out. No, that's not the reason why we do it. It's all about love. Love is the basis of it, and we need not be afraid. So let's come back to this idea of hearing from God. (coughs) To hear from God is to hear from the Holy Spirit. They're one and the same. Based on the logic of the Trinity, there's no reason to fear the Holy Spirit's work because He's part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. So to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit is to cultivate intimacy with God. There should be no reservations or hesitations about that. Bring it on, Holy Spirit, because you are God and you always do things that will glorify Jesus and the Father. This is what Jesus told us in John chapter 16. Whatever the Holy Spirit hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Holy Spirit, I am good with you. I want to hear from you. I want your presence. I want your anointing and power. I want your gifts. I want your baptism. I want your calling. It's all good. Holy Spirit's good because the Holy Spirit is safe. I get the privilege of traveling the world speaking at conferences. And one of the topics I am asked to speak on is, how do we hear from God? <clears throat> and I could go into the mechanics of it, listening to God. But that's not the most important part. The most important part is that you feel safe and settled and loved by God so you can receive all the Holy Spirit has. Everything else flows from that. The apostles were completely immersed in Jesus' love for them. He wouldn't give them a snake or a scorpion. That was the farthest thing from their minds. Jesus was immersed in the Father's love, and so he knew that what the Father gave would be good. So the key for you to experience the Holy Spirit is to experience the incredible love of God. The enemy comes to paralyze us, to to lock us up, like an engine that is seized, and the pistons can't fire anymore. No wonder we get stuck, because fear inhibits, but love liberates. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The Holy Spirit about love. I want to end with this story. (coughs) Last December, a member shared this testimony with us, 60-year-old fellow, Caucasian man from Alberta, Edmonton. Uh, He had moved with his wife, his new wife, uh, to Vancouver and came to our church. And in his testimony, he shared how he was a terrible husband, and a terrible father. He was very angry, he was very violent, he didn't know how to handle life, and he just wanted to die. He said that he knew that suicide was wrong, so he just said to himself, I'm just going to let my years play out till I die. That's a pretty dismal way of looking at life, but that's the place that he was in. In the midst of those dark days, Me. <clears throat> in the midst of those dark days, he had a dream, and he was walking in the woods, and a porcupine appeared to him. And as he looked at this porcupine, he was so spooked and scared, he began to back away. But incredibly, the porcupine began to talk to him and said, go ahead, pet me. He said to himself, I'm not going to pet you, your, your quills are going to poke me, I'm going to bleed, it's going to be painful. But the porcupine just looked at him gently and said again, pet me. And because the porcupine looked so kind and friendly, he reached down to pet the porcupine on the back. And to his amazement, the quills on the porcupines didn't prick him, but rather they felt like the softest, silkiest fur. He couldn't believe it. In his testimony, he said, you know, he used to raise Alaskan dogs, and their fur is just amazing. He said it felt just like the fur of an Alaskan dog. And after he petted the porcupine a few more times, the porcupine just sauntered off into the woods. End of the dream. Now remember, he's he's not a Christian. He's never had this kind of thing before. All he knew was that he had this dream and a porcupine had actually talked to him. (laughs) While he was battling alcoholism, he was in an AA meeting shortly after that. (coughs) Conversation veered towards God, higher power. And at that moment, as people began to talk about God, the understanding of the dream came to him. The porcupine was God. I always thought of God as this prickly person that I cannot touch. And if I get close to him, he is just going to prick me. And he said his mind just began to explode with understanding. And in that moment, God began to turn his heart. And so he shared that testimony with us, But that was the turning point for him, and then he surrendered his life to the Lord. He got baptized in our church just before Christmas, and today, literally three months later, he's now teaching a marriage class. God moved him from fear to faith to freedom and to fruitfulness. This is what God does, and he did it through this little simple picture. All those years of hardness, all those years of trauma, all those years of just living in a way that he despised himself, and God gave him this little picture and unlocked him. I share this story because it's just so touching, right? It's so helpful. We can think that the Holy Spirit is like a porcupine. It's scary. It's going to sting us. But the porcupine invites us to touch him. The quills are not needles, but it's actually soft fur. There's nothing to fear. And so I believe there's an invitation prayer. Are you ready to journey even more deeply with the Holy Spirit? I'm not speaking to uh, a group of people that have no understanding of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying, can you go deeper? Are you willing to journey more deeply with the Holy Spirit? If you are, understand that it's about love. And I think that there's a moment for us to have here as we end and as I pray for us, and it's to start where the apostles started, to just open our hearts and to receive God's love afresh, his very kingdom atmosphere. And then everything will flow from there. As you feel safe, God will empower you. God will anoint you. God will equip you. God will begin to give you understanding of all the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. You might experience a bubbling in your spirit, a joyful sense of elation or giggling or laughter or funny sensation even coming out on your tongue. Yeah, that's right. Here at Prairie. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we look to you right now. Thank you for every person that's in the assembly this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray, Father God, you would just douse this college with your love. I pray that you would just pour out over just the balcony of heaven the waterfall of your love, that any fear you would just dismantle, and that you would just cause that sense of safety and joy and delight to bathe us. And as we're in that place, Holy Spirit, you would have your way. That we would receive and be empowered in the same way that the apostles were. That we would be empowered in the same way that Jesus was when he stood up in the synagogue to say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me. Let there be a fresh plugging into the power of heaven as your love flows. Thank you for the callings on each person's life in here. There's some of you that are experiencing some valleys. God is coming to comfort you. There's some of you that are experiencing some deep trauma. God is coming to speak to you personally. If you by faith will say, God, you love me down to who I am in my name, you're going to see God move in a wonderful way. So Holy Spirit, just come in fresh. Let a river just flow through this campus. In the precious name of Jesus, amen and amen. Go in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit.